Hey, I'm Jesse. I wanted to go back and recap some of the mountaintop moments throughout 1 Corinthians. When we were in chapter three, it got pretty personal, pretty direct, because Paul started speaking about church planters. And uh, so as, as the pastor of a church plant, the Redemption Church, we take it quite seriously. He reminds them that they are the temple of God at the end of chapter three, all the more striking given the fact that in chapter five, he's gonna confront some pretty grotesque sexual sin. In chapter six, he's gonna catalog every imaginable sin that was prevalent throughout Corinth that was also present within the church itself. And then he's even gonna, he's even gonna confront some pretty abusive, uh, abusive settings in which like people were abusing the spiritual gifts in chapter 14, people were abusing communion and turning it into a chance to just partying at drunk at church in chapter 11. So it's all the more striking that he would remind them that they are the temple of God. In chapter four, uh, he, he reminds us of who servants of God actually are, who pastors and apostles actually are. And uh, verse six, he says, now brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. Sola Scriptura is one of the five solas of the Reformation. Only scripture, nothing else. You don't need anything else. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full, you're already rich, you've already begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could reign with you. For I think God has displayed in us the apostles in last place, like men condemned to die. We become a, a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear, dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, you don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, Paul planted the very church to whom he's writing. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He's my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I have everywhere in, uh, just as I, I teach everywhere in every church. In this week's curriculum, you'll see a callback to Timothy where Timothy is, is referred to in chapter four, and then he comes back up again in the final chapter in chapter 16. And this kind of draws this thread that connects the books of first and second Corinthians to first, and Tim, first Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus. Our current study plan is gonna go through first Timothy. We're gonna have Easter, and we're gonna do five weeks in Nehemiah, then second Corinthians, and then first Timothy, and then second Timothy, and then Titus. And we will have covered these epistles that lay out how the church is supposed to work. It's a good foundation for a church plant. Hopefully it falls in line with what Paul says a builder of a church ought to do in chapter three. He has to, be, uh, has to build wisely, laying a foundation that's, that's in the word of God. But in the midst of it, he shows this big time demotion of apostles and pastors. Like, look, don't, don't, take, don't, don't take the calling to the pastorate uh, lightly. Uh, sometimes it's a death sentence. Sometimes it's a surefire way to know for a fact that your life's going to be ruined because you've been called into the ministry, like, like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. In some contexts, there are a few people hated more than Christian pastors. And some of those contexts are right here in Seattle, for example. 
but he's he's saying saying this, uh, he's saying this not to sh- uh, he's writing this to to not, not to shame the Corinthian church, but to warn them. And he's he's putting an end to this portion wherein they had their favorite apostles, their favorite pastors to uh, to whom they would appeal, and he would put the office of apostle in its proper place. We now have studied chapters 12, 13, and 14. We know that these are going to come on later because he's just said all this stuff about how rough it is, how terrible it is, how, how uh, publicly disgraceful it is to be an apostle, how brutal it is to be a pastor and a church planter, especially in his world. But then in the layout of the spiritual gifts, that's the top office, brother, to be an apostle, one of those guys who saw the resurrected Jesus and then goes around planting churches because of it. It's so funny. It's exactly like what Jesus said, that whoever wants to become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven must become the least. So this is Paul. He's one of those guys who, uh, from the earthly perspective, is the least, but he holds one of the, he holds like the top spiritual office. He's one of the guys who saw Jesus. He's being humble here because he's talking about how brutal the office is. And then in chapter 12, 13, and 14, when he gives us this authoritative cataloging of the spiritual gifts, the office of apostle is way up there at the top. It's, it's in fact, this, this gift of prophecy, this is the very gift he's exercising as he, as he dictates this letter, perhaps through Sosthenes, taking the pen back at the very end by his own hand, that he's exercising the highest of the spiritual gifts, that he's occupying the highest of the spiritual offices. That when he describes that, uh, you know, that we'll give an account to God for what we've done, that we'll stand in judgment before him, that he himself is going to have an incredible, incredible reward. So uh, he's laying out the, the brutal expectations and the earthly experience of what it's like to be an apostle. But we now know later on that he occupies now the highest rank of the spiritual offices within the church. There's something to be said for that. I admire Paul's humility for laying things out in the order that he did under the inspiration of the Spirit. But would you consider for a moment that you may have been striving for something that is of high earthly acclaim, but of no spiritual value? Because the things that are of high spiritual value sometimes are of very little earthly esteem. This was Paul's design for his life. Would you compare your current finances and calendar, journaling, aspirations for your life to Paul's outline? What he did was seemingly despicable, like everyone's garbage, like the scum of the earth. But according to God, it was the highest office in the church. Would you compare your own priorities to Paul's heaven-bent priorities?